0: Us. I want to say thanks to God and thanks to you guys as a team and as a church. Um, Towards the middle of last year, as it became evident that we were going to be moving here and a lot of folks were not making the transition with us from Ahwatukee, we started to run a pretty significant uh, financial deficit to the tune of about $100,000. And um, we just sent out a couple emails and and, uh, communications up here on Sunday mornings a few times. And just, I don't know if you look in the back of your bulletin or not, but we uh, finish the year with not just um, a good year, an amazing year, uh, in the black by uh, f- over $14,000. So <laughs> praise God. <clears throat> it is certainly not all about money, but just I'm really, really thankful and really grateful for um, your generosity and, and God's faithfulness to us in this transition. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this week and next, we're going to be looking at the gospel of Mark um, and the kingdom parables that are there. And then in two weeks, or excuse me, two weeks from this Sunday, we're going to start a new series in Galatians, in the book of Galatians. We're waiting for downtown to finish up some stuff, and then we will get our both of our congregations here in downtown paired up with preaching the same material. So we're going to start in a new series in the book of Galatians, which is interesting. Uh, we have never preached through Galatians, even though when we started New Valley in our living room, uh, we started studying the book of Galatians in order to... Really secure the foundation of this church in the gospel of grace. And so it's very fitting and appropriate that as we are launching here in our new location, and in many essence are starting all over again, uh, that we would lay another foundation in the great letter that Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, because it is so centrally focused on the good news of the gospel. So please join us for that coming up in two weeks. Today we're going to be looking at what's called the parable of the soils as we kind of continue and mark from Advent, where we studied uh, God's kingship in Christ as let earth receive her king. This week, the parable of the soils. And if you've got a a Bible, please turn with me as we look at chapter four of Mark through one through 20. If you don't have a Bible, it's fine. It'll be on the screen and in your bulletin as well. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered around him So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground. Where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withdrew away, withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he said, He who has ears to hear let him hear. And when he was alone those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, "To you who has been given the the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, "Do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all the parables?" The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where this word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes up and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the one whom, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the words, but their cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke it. And it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. This is the word of the Lord. Mark is writing his gospel uh, in order to preserve the Christian faith in the first century. So Jesus has come, he's had his ministry, he has died on the cross, he has risen from the dead, and then ascended to the Father, and these disciples were left with the Great Commission ringing in their ears from Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. To make disciples, and then to mature those same disciples. And Mark is concerned, as I'm sure all the disciples were, as Jesus was present, they saw the kingdom of God advance. Did they not? Where the king was, physically, they saw implications and reality of the kingdom being worked out. The deaf could hear. Why? Why? because the kingdom of God was at hand. The blind could see. The lame could walk. Those who were oppressed by evil or in in any other way were, were no longer oppressed, because the king was at hand. But the king has ascended to the Father, and their great concern as the first century church in this moment would be, will the kingdom of God increase? And Mark writes down this parable. Jesus spoke in many, many parables, many of which I'm sure didn't make it into the recording of the Gospels, but Mark is highlighting this one to remind us to believe that the kingdom of God will indeed advance as we sow, even in difficult times. It was difficult for the early church. The first century church in Jerusalem, imagine, it was foolishness to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And yet, they were faithful to sow seeds during difficult times, the seed of faith, and to share their faith. And then they eventually saw an enormous, miraculous harvest. You and I are among that harvest. A miraculous work from this very small group of people. Today, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's not an easy time to share your faith or to be identified with Jesus Christ in this day and age, in this culture. We've made it pretty difficult on ourselves. We've done a good job of doing that on ourselves, but it is a time and a place in our history where it is more difficult. It is certainly not as difficult as many other places and many other times, even currently, but for us, in comparison, over time, it has become increasingly difficult to be identified with Jesus Christ, and yet today, we have that calling. This morning, we're gonna look at two main points, the sower and the soil. The sower and the soil. We're just gonna follow the basic pattern of this passage. First, the sower. Chris Wright is a guy who wrote a book called The Mission of God. He leads a a ministry in England, and it's a book that many of us in this church have read because we're involved in a ministry called Surge School, and, and several of us have gone through Surge School and read these books and interacted together. And in this great book, The Mission of God, Chris Wright says this, it is not so much that God has a mission for his church, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. I love that. It's not so much that God has a job for his church or a mission for his church, but that God has a church, a group of people, you and me, for his mission in the world. And we can argue about the nuance of that word, or which comes first, and should, should we, is this the right way to explain it or not? But I love the emphasis on this, because frankly, it is so easy for us followers of Jesus, especially in the Western world, to become insular and isolated, and to say somebody else will worry about the advancement of the kingdom of God. But you and I, church, we have a calling, a calling to be on mission, because our God is a missionary God much more about that some other time, but our God is a missionary God. Even his very act of creation was an act of mission and an act of grace. First, the sower, the sower. There's this farmer and he sows his seed liberally all over his property. And you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> and, and, and none of us like it. We are called, each one of us, not just the pastors and elders of this church, everybody who follows Jesus is called to be one who sows seed. When I was a junior in college, uh, I was asked by Everett Albrecht, who was a campus minister on the campus, uh, to start meeting with him on a regular basis. He asked me if I would start meeting with him and weekly at the undergraduate library, which is literally underground at Purdue, and and it was the hangout for students, uh, the union and this, this library and it was a crisis of my faith in a sense, and it was an opportunity. It was a pivotal moment because I knew what was going to take place there. We were going to get our Bible out in public, right? So I was going to study the Bible with Everett, who's an old guy. He's probably 20 years younger than I am now, but at the time, he was an old dude with a big old Bible and he's from Alabama, <laughs> and we were going to sit down, and there were going to be girls walking by, maybe girls that I had even wanted to ask out, coming by, and they're going to see me with this big Bible and this old dude studying, right? There were going to be guys, and this did happen when I started to meet with them. Guys from my fraternity would walk by, and then later saw you doing Bible study, you know, in the library, and, and I would be identified with Jesus. There would be professors that I knew that were hostile to my faith that would come by and see me studying The Bible. This was a pivotal moment for me where I finally got to the place where I said, I'm going to be identified with Jesus, even in a place where it may not be easy. I am now ready to be publicly identified with the person and work of Jesus Christ, even if it's not easy. And frankly, there comes a time and a place in every believer's life where you have to get to that moment where you say, I'm willing to be identified with Jesus. You see, to be a disciple literally means to follow Jesus. That's technically, it's it's just what it means. A disciple is somebody who followed a rabbi. A disciple of Jesus would be somebody who followed Jesus. The New Testament carried over that term for you and me, that we are still his disciples. So if we are his followers, and yet nobody knows that we follow him by our words, by our actions, by our lifestyle, by just embodying the gospel, then are we actually following him? And I, look, we are saved by grace through faith, but at some point you have to say to yourself, am I actually following Jesus if nobody knows that I follow him? Are you tracking with me? And so when you identify with him, when you publicly identify yourself, and I know my job's a little easier and harder at some points by being publicly identified with Jesus, and I hear it all the time. You know, people will introduce me like, oh, this is my friend Scott or whatever, and as I turn around, I kind of walk like, he's a pastor. <laughs> I know he seems normal, but he's not. He's a pastor, right? He's, he's a weirdo. <laughs> and at some point in our DNA, in our culture, you have to get to the point where you say, It's going not to be easy, but I am okay to be publicly identified with Jesus. Even if people think I'm weird, I can handle that. I will be willing to do so. And in doing that, that will inevitably lead you to have opportunities to share the hope that is within you. Not in an arrogant way, not in a pushy way, in a relationship way to sow seed, to share your faith. Jesus starts to teach And the crowd is so big that he sat down. That's what teachers did. And they would sit in a boat oftentimes if the crowd was large in order to amplify it. Why is he in a boat? That it's in order to amplify the message over the water so that people could hear. And he tells stories. He often told stories. He taught with parables, and he used the method of parables in order to make certain things that weren't clear, clear, but at other times, he used parables in order to make things that might seem clear to actually be less clear to other people, and this is one of those stories, because the disciples are confused, and they come to him and say, what does this mean, right? Well, Jesus uses this particular story to say, my presence and my word serves as a litmus test in essence, to the condition of a person's heart. That what you do with the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God, will prove that your heart is like one of these four soils. It's called the parable of the sower, but in reality it should be called the parable of the soils. In this time, a farmer would take seed, right? And this is well before plowing. So you didn't have a piece of property that was good and bad and take the rocks out and just plow it up and and make it all better. Instead, you would take seed and scatter it, sow it every single place that you had land. And there would be a path, right, on your property if you owned land. There would be a path. Like Back east, where we would go hiking, the, the dirt might normally have grass and green vegetation, but there are hiking paths back east that get so worn that it's a hard path, and it's kind of like concrete, even though previously it could have been, been a place where things could grow. You would have a path. You might, like Arizona, have some landscaping with some rocks, and, and a, there might be, a, or just naturally, a rocky place where in your yard... And then there would be other places that looked healthy because it's green enough. There's water and there's weeds and there's thorns and thistles and so forth. But there was another place that was really receptive in the yard and it's good soil. And so this farmer liberally sows the seed everywhere and he, he he throws it on the hard path, maybe something will spring up there. He throws it on the rocky path, he throws it among the weeds and the thorns, and he throws it among the good soil because he has to. He's dependent upon this harvest. So he just scatters everywhere, hoping something will take root. And honestly, I think this story should give us great courage as we think about sowing. It's meant to free us up in a sense this farmer isn't worrying, like, well, what if, what if this, what if it doesn't work, what if they reject me, what if they reject the seed, etc., etc., he just throws it out there, and this is our calling, friends, and we get so hung up and worried, like, well, what if they reject me, what if they don't like the message, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if I don't have an answer to their question, what if What if I say something really stupid or seem offensive to them and then I turn them against God? What if, what if? And we talk ourselves out of ever having any sort of conversation. This is truly meant to free you up because here's the reality. The farmer knows that much of the seed that is sown will not take root. But some of it will. But some of it will. And I see this even, you know, in, in my teaching ministry and preaching and sharing stuff on Sunday morning, like, there are Sundays, guys, where I walk out of here and I tell Becky later in the day, like, I really feel like I blew it. Like, man, I just feel like I didn't, I didn't say things the right way. My, my energy wasn't, it. whatever. I don't feel good about a particular message, but at the end of the day, it's not about how I deliver it or whether it's good or bad or I'm funny or, you know, interesting or not. What happens is God is at work, and I see it. There are other Sundays where I walk out of here feeling like it was pretty good. <laughs> today was good. Today's pretty average. So. But like, you know, normally like I'm like, hey, today was really good. But that doesn't necessarily mean that anything actually takes place in your heart. At the end of the day, we sow and share and, and tell people about Jesus, and we leave the results to God who is the one who prepares the soil. That is so freeing to me knowing that as we work and as we do the work, that God, God is ultimately the one. He's the ultimate one in charge. This week, I met to pray with a couple who's been coming to New Valley for several years, and it was a powerful meeting. They were asking for prayer because the the wife has already battled cancer six separate times over the 20-something years of their marriage. Six times. And now they have found um, something on her liver that looks like it could p- potentially be cancerous. Please join us in begging God that it's not. And it, it's looking good, like maybe it's not. And we'll find out on Tuesday. Please join us in prayer. But as we're sitting in my office and they're sharing in tears about these six separate battles, literally they got married and at the end of the first year she starts to battle cancer for the first time. And they talk about their faith journey and how the husband for many years just was so angry and bitter against God. You can imagine so, and you can understand why. But somehow, in the midst of battling cancer for six separate times, this woman comes to faith, a profound faith and a deep faith, and then gets a great concern for the husband. And it's so funny, for years as I have met with him, she's caring about him spiritually, and he's so tenderheartedly caring for her and her physical pain and suffering. It's beautiful. Someone several years ago, though, invited them to church. And what if they had not? Someone could have said, after who? This person certainly wouldn't want to come to church. They've battled cancer six times. God to them must feel like an enemy. And yet they were bold enough to invite that family in. The husband's heart was hard path at the time, but today his heart is so tender. I sat with this burly man. He's a man's man. He's from northern Indiana. He is a dude. He's bawling like a baby. As he's telling me about his love for his wife and his love for God. That man's heart seemed hard. But it wasn't. It was good soil. And God worked through it. We need to share. And one of the most powerful things we can do, people, friends, is just to invite people into our own lives into our church, into a gospel community, just into your life, to a party, have dinner. This isn't some fake weird thing. Don't, Don't initiate any of this if you don't actually want a friendship with anyone. This is real friendship, right? You have to care for people and love them, but the power of invitation can change lives. It did in this couple's life. Next, let's talk about the soil. The soil, and this is the main point. Jesus tells the story, and later the disciples say, what does this mean? And he basically says again, my presence as the king is a litmus test to the heart condition of every human being. And he said, the human condition is like these four soils. First, there's the hard path, the hard heart. In verses 14 and 15, these are the one along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Let me ask you a question though. If I had uh, homework that I could make you do, and I can't, so I won't. But like, if I could make you do this today, imagine for just a minute that this is your homework. You have to leave this building today, and you have to go share your faith, even if you just started believing yourself, whatever elementary amount you can. You have to go share your faith with the most hard-hearted person you can possibly think of. Who is that person? This is your homework. you got to go do this. So I want you to think, now, who would that be? Who would you have to go share the gospel with? This is the most hard-hearted person you can imagine. Now, what's interesting is, culturally and contextually to what we see in this passage, it may not be the type of person you have thought of in your own mind. In the context of the gospels, the most hard-hearted people are not the atheist with all their questions, or the agnostic, Or the pleasure seeking uh, person, the hedonist, it is the pastors. (laughs) It is the theologians. It is the religious people. They, in this context, are the ones who are the most hard hearted because as Jesus comes and he offers them good news of the kingdom of God, repent and believe in the kingdom, they say to themselves, Repent. (laughs) What do I have to (laughs) repent of? I'm righteous, I'm good, I'm holy. But Jesus says in Mark 2, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. It is only sinners who are coming to Jesus. The righteous don't come, which means they're not actually righteous. They're self-righteous. The next is the shallow heart. First is the hard heart. The hard heart is usually more surprising than you might think. (laughs) The person you think in your mind that might be most far from God actually may not be. The shallow heart. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it, and they have no root but endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I grew up in Indiana where grass was plentiful. Like, I loved, when I was a kid, I actually did not love it, but uh, mowing the grass. We had five acres of grass growing up. I mowed a lot of grass in my life. And now, believe it or not, uh, like, I live in a yard where I don't have a single intentional blade of grass, right? It's 100% rock. So we visited some family in Oregon this past summer. My favorite thing to do, every, I, I did it twice a week, even though I only need it once a week, was mow their grass. I just, I love it. I'll come to your house. I'll do it. <laughs> so I have no intentional grass in my yard. I have a rocky yard with thin soil, right? But stuff does spring up. It's amazing. A guy from the Midwest, I would see like this rock, and all of a sudden weeds would, would spring up and grass even would spring up, but then the persecution of my weed poison would come along, or, or the sun of the Arizona heat would come, the persecution of that, and it clearly would wither away because the soil is so thin and dry, right, and rocky. This is a warning. It's a warning to the American church that has a thin faith, and so this is us, guys, this is a warning to us as Christians in America, in the Western world, who have life so good, and then we hear Jesus, who's to them is like a rock star, and he's healing people, and everywhere he goes, crowds are coming, And, and people are getting healed left and right. Who doesn't like that? So they believe, and they trust in him when things are good, but then when the difficulty of persecution comes, they fall away. In America, we're being taught a theology of prosperity, that God says, you know, in our hearts, we say, God wants us to be fabulously rich. He never would allow us to be sick. He would never call us to suffer. He only wants us to prosper. It's a false gospel. It is not the gospel of the New Testament. We serve a a Savior who was pierced, who was wounded, who was beaten, who has stripes, who died and suffered on our behalf. Third, we see the path that is divided, a soil that is divided, a divided heart. Those are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That is us. American church, (laughs) that is us. The seed comes in, and it's among decent soil. It's fertile. Stuff can grow. And it begins to grow, but there's things so mixed in. There are, there are weeds and there are thorns, and it chokes out real and abundant faith and growth. The cares of the world. We have so much, but we worry about it so much. <laughs> We have so much, and we have so much worry and anxiety. The deceitfulness, Jesus says, of riches. You personally may not feel like you're very wealthy, but you live in probably the most wealthy and abundant society in the history of human civilization. Third, the desire for other things. Jesus warns these choke-out, legitimate growth and faith. And this is an enormous warning to us as maybe not hard path, but, friends, this, this divided heart that is so rooted right alongside all these other things with my greatest concern for myself and for the church in America. Jesus says this, "Trust me as your Lord." But I turn to Netflix for my comfort. <laughs> He is the king of kings and lover of my soul, and, and he loves me, but you and I, we turn to food and drink and, and success and pleasure like no other. Like, uh, it's the holidays, and my wife said to me, I, I'm dreading Monday because Monday, tomorrow, is our day of reckoning, okay? <laughs> All the holiday excess, we're saying tomorrow, we're back, back on, on a good path this analogy of like this holiday the last month we have been eating whatever we want because we can and 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 work has been less because we took time off and had vacation and the kids have been home and and we've been eating whatever we want we've been going wherever we want we have been eating foods we would never allow anyone to eat in just gobs of amounts it's the problem of abundance and hear me the problem is not in things God created all things and declared them good. When he created the whole universe, he declared it all very, very good. Humanity is at the top of that. and We are the ones who are declared very good. The problem is not with the stuff. It's what we do with it, and we bow down to it. And this is my greatest concern for us, church, is we do love Jesus, but we love our stuff more. When my kids were young it was Mother's Day and I had the video camera going out as we did a lot back then and and it was I went up to each one and I said tell mama happy Mother's Day and I went up to my middle son and I said tell mom happy Mother's Day and he goes I love you mom I really do and then he goes but I love my green jeep <laughs> I love you mama I really do but I love my green jeep That's our problem I love you Jesus I really do. But I also love my green Jeep. Maybe a little bit more than I love you. This is my greatest concern for my heart. It's my greatest concern for yours. The American distraction of greed and technology and busyness and entertainment and pleasure. It chokes out the growth that the Holy Spirit means to bring into our life. We bow to all this stuff when the lover of our soul, the lover and creator of the universe is here and we say, I will, choose, I will choose the gift rather than the giver of the gift as the one who has my primary heart's attention. We bow to power, money, and stuff instead of the one who is the good giver. So take an honest assessment before we talk about this four soil. Where is your heart right now? And even though you're a Christian, you're, you're justified by faith, Luther says, and you are also still sinful. So don't be surprised if your heart becomes hard path at some point, or a divided heart, or a shallow heart. Where's your heart right now? You can feel like you have a good heart at 10 a.m. and a divided heart at 3 in the afternoon. Where's your heart? Thanks be to God for the good heart. Jesus said, Nobody's good but God, but thank God that His grace and His Holy Spirit goes before us and tills soil and makes the condition of the human heart good. In verse 20, There are those that were sown on the good soil, the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. The presence of the seed is a litmus test there to, to prove, like, where is the condition of our heart? And some people, Jesus has said, our good soil that received the word, and then there's this harvest, 30, 60, 100 fold. A tenfold harvest would have been like way beyond measure. 30, 60, 100 is literally miraculous. That's what happens in the kingdom of God. And that's actually what took place with these disciples. If you think about it, who are these men? and women that followed Jesus. None of them were among the righteous. There was a tax collector. He was despised and hated by society. He was an evil man who became Matthew, St. Matthew. (laughs) There were these fishermen that are just blue-collar, hard-working, tough-language, Beer drinking, baloney eating, you know, whatever. I don't know. They're, these are hardworking men. They change the world. They have this miraculous, miraculous harvest. Who is the good soil? What is it like? Who is that person like? The presence of Jesus is the litmus test. And when you come into the presence of the Holy God, imagine if Jesus Christ were to walk into this room right now. What would be our response? A proper response would be to fall on our knees and to say, Lord, we are not worthy to be in your presence. Like Isaiah. When Isaiah says, behold, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I serve a people who have unclean lips. Get away from me. You're too holy to be among me. A proper response to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, would have been to humble yourself and say, I'm not worthy of your presence in my life. I'm not righteous, I am altogether sinful to own that, to admit that, and to hear then the good news that is in Jesus in Romans 6. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's the heart, good soil doesn't just happen once. If you want to be good soil, you have to keep living in this reality. You are simultaneously just and yet still a sinner. And it's not to beat yourself up. Your identity is a son and a daughter of God but who is bought and purchased at a great price and it's the, the gift of righteousness by Jesus Christ. New Valley, never forget that you are a broken, sinful person that has been given the free gift of God in Jesus. It's grace. It is by grace you've been saved, not of work so that anyone can boast If we remain a humble people, what might God do with us? The good soil is humble and has faith. Good soil says, I'm not worthy, I'm not righteous. It goes back to Mark 2, right, where Jesus said this, I did not come for the righteous, but for sinners. It is those people, those who identify themselves, yes, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner, that are good soil and bear fruit. New Valley, why are we sitting here at 101 East Comstock right this minute? This sweet building. (laughs) It's not to have an amazingly aesthetic place. It's not to have better coffee, even though both of those things are true. It's not, it's, it is not to get bigger and badder. It is this, that we might be with God on his mission. God has a mission for us. We're his church, and he's called us, he's called you and me to humbly follow him as his disciples and to sow seed. He is giving us this place as a blessing, not for ourselves, but to be a blessing to others. We are called to serve Chandler and Gilbert and Tempe in this area with a great love and a great compassion, right? So church, as we start this new year, and as we open up these doors every week, and as we pray and think about how can we serve this community with real tangible ways emotionally physically spiritually would you beg god with me that we might see a harvest that we might sow the power of invitation and serving who is god calling you to serve who is god calling you to maybe share with the power of invitation It's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we as a church, just a congregation of people that love you, I pray that you would make us humble that you would humble us, that you would bring us to our knees and say, we are certainly not among the righteous of this world, but we are sinners who have found grace, the goodness of Jesus. And in turn, we want to extend that good news, that grace to other people. We want to sow, we want to share, we want to serve. We just want to serve people, to love our neighbor. Lord, would you help us and join other great churches in this city that are doing the same thing. Lord, we pray for one another. Help us to serve one another. Help us to work alongside one another to see you do the work that we want so desperately to see in this day and age. For New Valley, Father, humble us. Make us humble. Make us a people of great hope, faith, and above all love. We ask in Jesus' good name. Amen.